Amen. We are doing a series of teaching on the book Song of Solomon. We're going to be in chapter 2. Just a quick recap, we believe this book to be a prophetic dialogue between Jesus and the church. All that means is, is that it's a story, and it's actually, sometimes people think it's a play, it, it depends on your perspective, but the idea is there's a series of back and forth conversations between Solomon and this Shulamite woman. And we believe that Solomon represents Jesus, and the Shulamite woman represents you. Or the church. Amen. Somebody, and, and you know, so we're all the bride of Christ. And if, if women can be sons, then men can be the bride, right? So just, just don't, don't get caught up over that. It just, it's, a, it's a paradigm through which we can view our relationship with God. This book is a story about the bride's growth to maturity. And if we understand what she goes through in life, we can see that we go through similar things in life and we can get an understanding of how we should respond and we can gain revelation that will help us to reach a new stage of maturity. How many of you think that sounds good? We're going to look at this more. We're going to start in chapter 2. We're going to encounter, hopefully if I get there, the first major crisis in the bride's life, which is when she uh, feels the presence of God depart for a season, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to ask ourselves hard questions about it, and hopefully come to a good conclusion. Um, we won't get all the way that figured out, though, because there's a second crisis that happens later in the book, and when she deals with that crisis, she gets the revelation that I think is one of the most important and powerful ones that I've ever received in my life, and after that, she never again deals with the situation where she feels like the presence of God has abandoned her. So, that's a good teaser. <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter 2, this is where we're at. Last week we did chapter 1. I apologize that memory card got messed up, so the last 5 to 10 minutes of that got cut off. I made this really great analogy about the office and Jim and Pam. <laughs> And so I'm, sa I'm probably the only pastor that ever quoted Athanasius and referenced the office in the same sermon. But the evidence is gone. So anyway, but some of you are here, so you can. But anyway, most of that message is online. So if you want to hear about chapter 1, you can go back to that. Song of Solomon, er, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. This, most people believe, is the bride speaking. She's making this statement, I'm the rose of Sharon and I'm the lily of the valleys. What she's do, what's she doing? She's making agreement with what Jesus said to her in the last chapter, which is that you're beautiful and you're pure. In Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that you've been made the very righteousness of God in Christ. And what the bride has to learn to do, if you want to grow up in the Lord, you need to agree with God about who you are. Yeah. You, you won't grow if you're always at cross purposes with God about your identity. And the bride, you know, Jesus just said a bunch of nice things to her. Hallelujah. Jesus is saying good things about you. And, and so he says a bunch of nice things. He says, I'm going to make you beautiful. And I, you are beautiful. And she makes the declaration, I agree with you. I am beautiful and I am pure. So let's just be like her. Let's say this together. I am desirable... 
by God. And in Christ, I am holy and forgiven. Amen. Now, the next verse, verse 2, Jesus says, As the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So he agrees with her. He says, yeah, you're right. Wow, that's, a, that's you know. So what's that? If, have you ever read the Scripture and then you made a declaration based on the Scripture and then it's like you sense inwardly that that was true? That's what's going on here. Now, you may not hear a voice from heaven say, yeah, you really are righteous. But if you declare it, and then you, you need to learn how to feel the Holy Spirit on the inside of you confirm what you've declared. That's what the bride's doing there. We need to kind of hustle to get through this, so I'm not going to dwell on that. But anyway, verse 3, I'm going to read a big chunk here. As the apple tree among the trees of wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I'm lovesick. King James says sick of love, but it means she's sick from love, not <laughs> sick of being in love. Elizabethan English is funny, but anyway, I like it because I used to be an English teacher. So, his left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O you daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field. Listen to this last part. Don't stir up nor awaken the bride until he, Jesus, pleases. What's this a picture of? So there's different seasons in our life, right? He she, the bride compares Jesus to a tree. Well, what's the tree symbolized in pretty much all Scripture? What Jesus die on? Okay. <laughs> it's not a test. It's an easy question. The tree, tree symbolizes the cross, all right? The tree provides shade. Shade from what? From the, from the sun of judgment, from wrath, its protection, its provision. The cross provides shade, and it provides this banquet table. Jesus died on the cross. He, he, he shields you from all of the, the um, uh, you know, judgment and all this and whatever. All, all wrath is passed over you, just like the Passover. And he brings you to this place of rest, underneath the shade tree, and there's a banquet table, and Jesus is there, and there's this beautiful picture of intimacy. He's got his left hand behind your head and his right arm around you. The only place your head can, you look an eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. Now, you're, you're sitting there, and he says, he's, he's brought me to this place under this shade tree, and he says, don't, don't let her get up until I say it's all right. You've got to learn to sit and rest and eat before you can learn to get up and do. Amen. Otherwise, you'll just get into burnout and you'll think it's holiness. It's not. If you burn out, it's because you haven't learned to sit and rest. True. Not being mean, I'm being real. I got, I'm preaching to myself, really. <laughs> This is the only way I stay sane. I have to go. There are seasons of rest where you got to go back and you got to, you got to, oh, I forgot about this whole grace thing. I got to remember grace. I got to get under the shade tree. I got to relax. I got to realize Jesus is taking care of me. Jesus is my provider. How long do you stay down there, Pastor? Well, until he tells you to get up. 
And we'll see him come do that in a minute. He's going to give an invitation. Jesus always gives invitations. Religion takes a stick and pokes you until you get up. Now, I want to speak into this just a, a little bit here. There's this phrase that's kind of famous, I'm, I'm lovesick. What's that all about in a New Text Testament context? Remember, you've got to have discipline with this. We're going to be really disciplined later. You can't just look at stuff in your life, and you can't just look at the Scripture and, and jump to a bunch of conclusions about what you think is going on. You've got, you got to submit it particularly to New Testament Scriptures like Romans and Hebrews and so forth. But anyway, she says, I'm lovesick. I remember when I was 18, my 18th birthday, right after Molly and I, we went to senior prom together, and we started dating. And this summer is like a blur to me. I went out and played golf with my grandpa all the time, but I'd stay up late. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep good. I didn't eat very much. I'm out there playing golf with, with my grandpa, and I'm, I'm just thinking about this girl, you know? And I've got, I got all these emotions, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I think she really likes me. She's really beautiful. And, and you know, I, I remember I was, I was 18, and I told my mom, I said, I, I think we're in love, you know. How many of you like, you know, you've fallen, you've fallen in love? You know what that feels like? It feels good, doesn't it? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a, it's a joyous and beautiful thing. But if you've been married a while, you know, you don't always feel all those emotions. Is that true? Why is that? Well, some of it's because of physiology. But, but another thing of it is, is like, you know, some people, they, they, the, those feelings start to wane, and so what they do is they just go find somebody else to fall in love with. Don't do that. What, you, what marriage is, is you've got to learn to fall in love with the same person over and over and over and over. And you can. You can... You can stir up those feelings again if you will go back and do what Revelation, you know, Revelation, Jesus criticizes the church and he says, look, you've left your first love. And then he says, do the first works. What's that mean? Remember what it was like the first time you fell in love. You can do that in your marriage. And if you do that, you can, you can rekindle those emotions. But here's the thing you've got to understand is that the, the foundation of your marriage can't be those emotions. Because they go up and down, right? Yeah. Similarly, your foundation of your relationship with God can't be this, this really gripping emotional attachment to God. Now, I love that. And I've, I've been, I, I know what it is to be lovesick, and I can go back there, and I still do that because it really helps me. I remember when I was teaching high school and I wanted to go to Bible college, I couldn't get through, I just couldn't get through my classes quick enough so I could sit in front of my computer and listen to worship music and think about Jesus. And my, I was spaced out. I was thinking about Jesus. And that's beautiful and, and all that, but, but emotions can go up and down. And, and what the foundation of your relationship with God is, is the covenant. Yes. It's the commitment that you've made to one another. Yeah. But the deal is, if you have that covenant and you live out of it, you can feel stuff. And if you never feel anything in your marriage, you're probably living at a level that's less than what God has for you. 
If you never feel anything in your relationship with God, you're probably living at a level that's less than what God has for you. Now, if I don't feel anything, does that mean God's abandoned me? Does that mean my spirituality is messed up? No. But what, what we're saying here is this is a thing you can and, and should experience. But I also want to speak into this because it kind of gets explained this way sometimes. So I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody. I honor different interpretations of, of the song. But um, there's this kind of concept that, that because Jesus left, we're sort of like... Um, we're sort of forlorn, you know, we're the, we're the, the bride and, and we're waiting for Jesus to come back and, and marry us. And uh, certainly in, a, in one sense, I mean, I'm very much aware that, that not everything's perfect down here. How many of you are aware of that? Yeah. And there's still, there's still a coming kingdom. Jesus is going to come to the earth and he's going he's gonna to rule and reign in a physical way. But I want to show you something that's really important. Um, look real quickly at Matthew 9, verse 15. Jesus says, Can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they'll fast. And the implication is then they'll mourn. Anybody see that verse? Okay, I'm not picking on anybody, okay? But is, is, does that characterize the New Testament church? Well, let's look, at, let's, look at, let's look at really what he was talking about. Turn over to John 14. That's what he said to the, to the religious people was in Matthew. He's explaining that to the Pharisees. But then later he says this to his disciples. He says in verse 15, John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you for how long? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it receives him not, neither it knows, no, it doesn't know him, but you know him. For he dwells with you, and he shall be with you. I will not leave you comfortless. Another translation says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. I won't leave you down here like a jilted lover. I lost my place. I will come to you. Now, does he, does he, does he mean that? Yes. Now, when's he going to come to us? What's he, what, it says, when the spirit of truth has come. It's not, it's not, when, it's not when he comes back physically. He's saying, I'm going to come to you in the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. I will come to you. I won't leave you comfortless. Yet a little while, and the world will not see me anymore. Does the world see Jesus right now? Not really, unless we manifest him, which is our calling. And it says, but, but you see me. And because I live, you will live also. But you see me. We see Jesus. How do you see Jesus? Through the Holy Spirit who indwells you. What's this mean? In a really real, in a, in a, in a very real sense. Now there's, there's still coming the consummation of, of heaven and earth. That's what Revelation 21 and 22 are talking about. I'm not trying to mess up your, your eschatology. I'm pretty much eschatological. I'm an end times agnostic. Okay, I, I think it's just all going to work out. I don't stress about it. Sometimes people want me to take a harder stance on it. You can't make me. I'm not, I'm not anyway. 
Maybe someday I will. So, but I know that I know that that you know heaven and earth are going to meet in a physical way. But heaven and earth already met in my, in my body because the Holy Spirit came from heaven and indwells me. Therefore, in a real sense, I'm not waiting to marry Jesus because I'm already married. You are. You know how I know? Because 1 Corinthians 6, it's talking about sexual immorality. And it says, you, you, can't, you can't go and take your, your members and join them to the members of, of a harlot. How are you going to go be one flesh with a prostitute? Don't, don't engage in sexual immorality. Why not? Because it's illegal to have intimacy outside of covenant. Is that right? You you gotta put you gotta put the ring on it. Yeah. Young ladies, I'm serious. Don't 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 let him have intimacy with you without the commitment. Amen. It's about covenant. Well, in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 6 17, he says, Don't don't become one flesh with a harlot. And then he says, But if you're joined yourself unto the Lord, you're one spirit. If you are not already married, God is having an immoral relationship with you. Wow. I'm serious. The, it's, it's covenant. What's the covenant? J Jesus made a covenant. He popped the question on the cross, and then he came back on the day of Pentecost in the Holy Spirit, and he, he married you. You're in covenant with Jesus. He died. He put, it's, his, it's his blood that signed the covenant. Well, that ought to encourage you. Now, is Jesus coming back physically? Yeah, and thank God we need to be excited about that. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not forlorn. I'm not forsaken. I'm in union with my Father. I'm indwelt by God. How long do you stay under the shade tree? Until you understand everything I just said there. <laughs> no, no, go back to Song of Solomon. Chapter, chapter 2. All right, so you're under the shade tree, right? You're understanding what Jesus did for you. You're, you're getting revelation of the fact that you're in union, you're in covenant with God. Hallelujah. He's not backing out of the deal. He's committed to you. Why do people, why do people stress out so much about, about signing the paper? You know, our culture says, well, it doesn't mean nothing to sign the paper. We don't need to sign it. Well, if it doesn't mean anything, why are you scared to sign it? The reality is it means a lot. Jesus knew it meant so much, he signed it with his own blood. Hosea says, I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness forever. Anyway, all right, verse 8. So now you're under the shade tree, and after a while you ought to hear this. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping on the mountain, skipping on the hills. He's like a, a roe or a young heart, and behold, he stands at the window... And uh, verse 10, he says, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. 
For lo, the winter is past, the rain's gone, the flowers appear on the earth, and uh, the time of singing of birds is come, and the voice of turtles is heard in land. All right, he says this. He's, so, so he's hanging out there with you, and it appears that the bride just falls asleep. You ever fall asleep praying? Don't feel bad about it. It's all right. Jesus, Jesus loves you. But Peter did it, right? So it's okay. So anyway, she falls asleep under the shade tree, and then she hears the voice of her beloved. And he says, rise up, come away. And what he's doing is he's like jumping from mountain to mountain. He's living supernaturally. He's, he's being Jesus. He's healing the sick. He's loving on people. He's doing crazy stuff. I mean, he looks, at, he looks at five loaves and two fish and thinks, well, that's more than enough. More than enough to deal with all these people. Yeah. If you look at the life of Jesus, it's really challenging because he doesn't see life the way that we do. He's just not bothered by stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, there's always enough provision. There's always enough power, you know. And, and he says to her, come up and walk with me. Come do this stuff with me. Come be like me. Why can you do it? Because he says the winter's past. The winter's time of judgment and death. It's talking about the law. The law's over. Old Testament's over. You're in the New Testament. It's the time of springtime. It's, it's the time of new birth. You hear the turtle singing. Praise Jesus. That's his figurative language. He's saying it's spring. Okay? And then uh, she says a bunch of stuff, so he invites her. Let's skip to verse 17. Here's what she says. Everybody ready for it? Until the daybreak and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. So he says, come up and do this supernatural stuff with me. Live life for God. Live big. Be who you are. Don't be afraid. And she says, no, I'm not really into that. So she says, she says, she says, turn. So he's coming down. She says, turn, my beloved, and you go do all that stuff. It looks really scary to me. I'm, I'm about to stay down here where it's safe. Mm -hmm. Anybody ever done that? Mm -hmm. Jesus says to you, why don't you go do this? Start this, you know, go pray for that person or start this ministry or or, you know, go love on that person, or whatever. And, and we say no. Yeah. Why? Because we're scared. Yeah. Is that honest? Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's why I love this book, because it's honest. Yeah. So she says no, and she's like, you go out there. You do that. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> All right. Now, verse 1 of chapter 3. Here's what happens next. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. Major crisis. She'd just been under the shade tree. She'd been looking eyeball to eyeball to Jesus. And then he invites her to do this thing. She fails. Now she can't find him. Anybody ever been in a season in your life where it seems like you can't find Jesus? Yeah. Seems far away. Yeah. Seems scary. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now, and I'll go about the city and the streets and the broadways, and I'll look for him who my soul loves. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. The watchmen that go about the city said to me, and I, or I said to them, Have you seen him who my soul loves? It was a little bit that I passed from them, and I found him who my soul loves. And I held him, and I would not let him go. All right. Here's what you're tempted to do right now. 
you're tempted to come up with a bunch of explanations as to why this occurred. Is everybody tempted to do that? Yes. Does it say in there why this happened? Yes. You can make in inferences, but it does not say explicitly in this text why this occurred. And I want to encourage you to discipline yourself in life because there are things that happen that sometimes are mysterious and we may not explicitly know why they occurred. Is that true? And if you don't discipline yourself to be okay with a little bit of mystery, you will come up with an oversimplified answer which will help you in the short term and harm you in the long term. And harm other people. The question is, why didn't the breakthrough come? I, I'm as into the manifest presence as probably anybody you'll meet. But, you know, why, why, Pastor, didn't this whatever manifestation occur? Well, sometimes there's mystery. There just is. I didn't like that when I was young. In fact, I heard a guy say that on TV when I was 14, and I was like, that guy's a coward. <laughs> then I got older and wiser, <laughs> and, and I prayed for about a, a couple thousand people, and, and some mysterious stuff happened. I, I, a lot of people got healed, a lot of awesome stuff happened, and then some mysterious stuff happened that I didn't fully understand. All right? So sometimes there are seasons in life where there's not the manifestation that we want and we don't understand why. And you've got to be okay and still recognize that God's good. He's for you. He hasn't changed. His will is still the same. He wants you well. He wants, he wants breakthrough for you. You know, he, he wants people saved and whatever. But for whatever reason, there's some kind of delay in the breakthrough. But the good news about this story is I can tell you why this one happened. <laughs> and I can give you the revelation later on in the song that can keep this specific problem from reoccurring. Um, but if you, don't, if you don't discipline yourself and look to the New Testament, you can, you can make a couple of assumptions. So some people on the back of your notes will make this assumption. They say, well, the story is she... she was hanging out with Jesus, and then he asked her to do something, and she failed, so God's judging her, and he's withdrawing his presence. A lot of people jump to that conclusion. The only problem is the New Testament explicitly says over and over again, I will never leave you or forsake you, and he's entered into covenant with you. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. God is not withdrawing his, his presence from you out of judgment or punishment. When my kids do something bad, I don't, I don't kick them out of my house. I'm, I'm their dad. I have to stay committed to them if they're, if they're to grow up. Other people will make this assumption. Well, God's not judging people, but what he's doing is he's withdrawing his presence in an effort to get you to obey. So it's like I'm hanging out with Jesus and I feel His presence and I feel His love, but then I blow it and then, and then he, he withdraws His presence so I'll want it back so I'll do what He told me to do. 
And again, that sounds really good. And if you don't look at any New Testament scripture, that sort of makes sense. Well, Jesus wants me to obey, so maybe this is how he's going to do it. But if you really follow that line of thinking through, what it's basically saying is that God is sort of like a, a divine drug dealer. And he's about to give you a hit of his love and get you hooked. And then if you don't obey, he's going he's gonna to pull it away so that you'll obey so you can go get your fix. Is that too honest? It's true. That's not how God is. He's not an emotional manipulator. If you're, if you're in marriage and you, and you give people the cold shoulder in order to get what you want, that's unhealthy. If you're in marriage counseling, I'd tell you to quit it in a nice way. God doesn't do that. Well, Pastor, why, why, why doesn't she feel his presence then? Well, look at 1 John 3, verse 20. So this is why you've got to read you know, the whole Bible. and you, you, you don't just, If stuff happens in your life and you don't understand, you can look for the answer. You may not always get the answer, but, but a lot of times the Bible has the answer, and I can't just jump to conclusions. 1 John 3, 20, verses 21 and 22. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Is God condemning you? But can your heart condemn you? Yeah, big time. Anybody's heart ever done that? The Holy Spirit and your conscience are not the same thing. They're not. A lot of people are told that. It's not true. If it was, everybody would have the same standard by which their conscience either excused or unexcused them. But, but it's not how it is, right? Some people feel condemned. If it, I'll use this example. My, my grandparents, it used to be a sin, you know, back in the day it was a sin to play cards. Some people remember that. So my grandparents would tell me this story. The preacher would come over to their house, and you never knew when the preacher was going to show up. So I might come visit some of you someday, see if you're, <laughs> see if you're sinning, you know. And so, no, I'm not going to do that. So the, the, <laughs> the preacher would come by. They lived in a rural town, and they'd be playing cards at their card table, and they'd real quick hide it. The preacher's coming. Well, you know, there was a guy down the street playing cards that was a Christian, and he wasn't condemned at all by playing, playing the cards. Right? So why is the Holy Spirit telling one person it's okay to play cards and, and another person it's not? It's because the Holy Spirit isn't saying that. Their own conscience is. Your conscience and the Holy Spirit are two different things. Now, can the Holy Spirit tell you that something's wrong? Sure he can. All right? But your heart and the Holy Spirit are different, and it says... Your heart can condemn you, and if it does, you won't have confidence towards God. Well, when would your heart condemn you? Well, maybe after Jesus just invited you to do something and you said no. Anybody ever had that happen? I was at this deal one time, and I was like, I was like trying to pray for this person in, in public. I'd never prayed for you know, somebody to be healed in public, and I felt like God told me to go pray for this person. I was scared. And I left, and I thought, oh, I'm such a failure. 
My heart condemned me. And God spoke to me. Because by this time I realized God didn't abandon me. But even though my heart condemned me, I heard God. He said, you are not a failure. And he almost kind of, he's like, don't you say that about yourself. He's pretty stern with me. Because feeling like a failure is not going to help me go pray for that person. Now, now I've prayed for lots of people in, in public and whatever. So, so anyway, your own heart can condemn you. This is what the bride experiences. And so she's, she's feeling ashamed and condemned, and that's why she doesn't have confidence towards God. So what does she do? She runs around the city and does a whole bunch of crazed religious activity until her conscience feels better, and then she finds Jesus again. That's, that's what people do, all right? People blow it, and then they run around and they, you know, they confess all their sins or they go, to, you know, they go to confession or they do some religious activity. They do a bunch of stuff, a bunch of crazed activity until they, until they feel better you know, or they go put themselves on the shelf. You know, God doesn't want to talk to me for a week, so I'll wait, and then after a week I'll go talk to him. Anybody ever done that? Man, all that is is... Is, is you fighting your conscience. God's not condemning you. Just let the blood of Jesus cleanse your conscience. That's what Hebrews 9 and 10 says. The blood of Jesus cleanses your conscience. So you just you, you do something dumb and you just say, well, thank God, Jesus' blood covered this. I'm about to go talk to my dad about it so I can get it fixed. Amen. Now, real quickly, we got just few minutes. How does Jesus deal with failure? Well, it's to criticize us, right, and tell us how we're failures. and That's what religion does, but that'll keep you stuck in a rut. Here's what, here's what Song of Solomon 3, verse 6 through 8 says. So the bride says this, Who is this that comes up out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and all the powders of the merchant? Behold his bed, which is Solomon's, and threescore valiant men are about it, and the valiant of Israel. And they all hold swords, being an expert in war. So, here's the picture. She says, who is this? She sees Jesus in a new way. Previously, he'd been, you know, her beloved under the shade tree, and then he's, he's jumping around on these mountains doing supernatural stuff. But then she sees something else about him. He's coming up out of the wilderness of sin. He's a, he's a conquering king, and he's riding on a bridal cart. You ever seen this deal where these guys carry the, you know, the king on their shoulders, and then there's all these soldiers around there? That's what's going on. And so Jesus is he's giving her an additional revelation about who, who he is. And so what he's saying is, when I asked you to, to come do this supernatural stuff with me and walk in your destiny and fulfill the call of God, what, what I meant was, come sit up here on this bridal car with me. I'm a conquering king. I already overcame sin. I already overcame the devil. There's, there's angels surrounding you. There's valiant men of war here to protect you. And what grace is, is you just come sit here and we will do our, your, our destiny together. If you're, if you're failing to achieve your destiny, you don't need to try harder. You need additional revelation about who Jesus is and who you are. That's what he's doing. He's saying, Mom, my bride's, my bride's in fear. She's not, she's not accomplishing what I called her to do. 
A lot of people think, well, what I need to do is just, is, you know, just get up in there and tell her why she's all messed up. <laughs> no. She doesn't know who Jesus is. Right. And she doesn't know who she is. If you did, you'd live like it. Come on. Let's all stand up. Is that helpful? All right, I'm going to pray for everybody. My prayer team can come down here. Jesus loves you. Jesus is with us. If you need personal prayer in just a minute, you can come down and pray with one of my prayer team members. I'm going to pray for everybody. And we're going to believe that God's going to give you whatever revelation you need to get where you need to go. 2 Peter 1, I think it's verse 3, says that everything in life that we need in life has been given us already in Jesus. But it says, by the knowledge of Him. Everything's already provided, but the way you access it is through knowing Him. It's through revelation. So you might need some more. I need some more. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for everybody. Father, we thank you for your radical goodness. We thank you that you have purchased every good and precious thing for us and already given it to us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, let us have revelation of who you are and who we are so that we'll walk day to day with you and accomplish our destiny. Not be afraid, but partner with you to see heaven come to earth. We thank you for your people. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great week. If you need personal prayer, come down. If you want to meet Molly or I, we'll be right down front here.